We'll go ahead and get started, so let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for this day and grateful for the opportunity to study your word together. We pray for your help and um, that you give us understanding into your word, but um, even more than that, into the work that your spirit does as we think about the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are wrapping up our study on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, this morning. So let's review a couple things. First is we talked about who the Spirit is, right? The Spirit is not a force. Spirit is who? Person. It's not a, the Spirit is not a thing. Uh, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? So we have Father, Son, and Spirit. So we see the deity of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God, the Son is God. We have one God, three persons. Uh, then we talked a little about his work. Um, what are some things that the Spirit does in terms of his work? Let's talk maybe Old Testament. What does the Spirit do in the Old Testament? Comes upon people. Yep, so we see him coming upon certain people for particular issues. So there's, a, there's an indwelling, and we, kind of, we talked about how it's different than what we find in the New Covenant. Right? In the Old Covenant, uh, God is dwelling among his people in the temple tabernacle. Right? And, and that's, uh, Christ has not come yet. So, so the, we don't have a new covenant yet. We have the old covenant. And so the Spirit is not indwelling each individual believer, but he does come upon certain believers, and especially we see it with um, some, of, some of the kings, um, even some of the artisans who are making certain things for the temple, things like that, um, to equip and empower for certain particularly important redemptive things that are going on, right? Um, okay, good. So yeah, it doesn't permanently indwell in the Old Testament, but does indwell at times. What else? Are they spiritually dead in the Old Covenant? Or are they like kind of alive and they just need a little bit of a boost for salvation? They're spiritually dead, just like we are, right? And so the Spirit regenerates. We see the Spirit gives them uh, life, right? They're believing in God because they have life in God. That's, that's new for them. So regeneration is the same in that sense in the Old and New Covenant. Um, let's move to the New Covenant. So the New Covenant, we have regeneration. We're going to talk briefly about that again um, just because it fits the theme, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because we've talked about it several times before. So, regenerates. Um, what else? Indwells, right? I think that, I don't know, rather than making you just throw out the obvious answers because we just talked about that, he indwells New Covenant believers. Um, every believer is indwelled. Why? Because the New Covenant has come, Christ has come, the sacrifice is made, right? All the Old Testament sacrifices that said, hey, this is, God can dwell among you and not wipe you out as you trust in him and you're making sacrifices to show you know your sin is what the issue is. Um, that all pointed to Jesus though, right? They, otherwise they wouldn't have had to keep sacrificing. If the sacrifice took care of it, they would have been done. It didn't, so they weren't done. It was all a pointer, it was a shadow. So Jesus comes, new covenant is here, new covenant comes, uh, the once for all sacrifice has taken place, the temple is now individual believers. So the spirit indwells every single believer in the new covenant, right? To be, to be one of God's people, to be regenerated in the new covenant is to also have the spirit in you. Those two things are not distinct anymore when we get to the new covenant. Um, okay, uh, what else does the spirit do in the new covenant? Convicts. Convicts, yep, yep. We see that in John's gospel, right? Convicts, uh, convicts the world of sin, we see that, yep. What else? Gives us understanding of what we're reading in the scriptures. Yeah. Illumin so illumination of the scriptures, right? And, and, um, and we actually, in the order that we covered that, we actually covered that even before we talked about the Spirit's work in the Old Testament. 
because there's just this big kind of banner thing of the Spirit inspires the Word of God. He gives us the Word of God and he illuminates our understanding to understand it. And I think that's true in the Old Covenant as well because you have Old Covenant believers like if you look in Psalm uh, 119, there's things like, you know, teach me and give me understanding. There these prayers, why? Because the Spirit's inspired word, needs, he needs to also give us understanding into that word. So um, he inspires the word of God. He illuminates God's people to understand the scripture. Um, that's true. Yeah. The, along with that, though, he, there's a specific thing. He testifies specifically about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So when the new covenant comes, we see it even more clearly. But even in the old covenant, I think it, does it talk about it in Peter where it talks about how he was kind of testifying to them about Jesus, even though they didn't fully know who he was. I think that's in first, second Peter. I don't know, Rod, maybe you can tell us that. Um, he helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. Yes, good. We're going to get to that today. Yep, that's right. Uh, we spent several weeks on one topic that we haven't touched on yet. What is that? Gifts. You said gifts? Yes, he gives us spiritual gifts, right? Spiritual gifts are given for what? For the building up of the body, right? And so we talked about that. Um, Doug talked last week about how he fills us, the Spirit fills believers to empower us to walk in God's ways. And that's kind of what we're going to pick up on today. We're going to talk about that, although we're going to be a little bit broader than that because I think there's a couple things I want to make sure we, we wrap up as we're doing this final session. So big picture, I'm just calling this the work of the Spirit in our walking with God. Um, that's kind of big picture. So I'm kind of just getting more um, individually and personally as new covenant believers, how does it, what is the Spirit doing in his, what, what work is he doing in us as we walk with God? That's kind of what we're looking at. This is kind of the big umbrella we're going to look at. So it's, it's kind of wrapping up some of the things we talked about. It's bringing in some things we didn't talk about yet. Um, so hopefully all this, this will end up fitting together. The title is specifically intended to communicate something when we talk about the work of the Spirit in our walking with God. There are two things going on there. I hope you can see that, right? One is the Spirit works. He's the one doing work in us. The Spirit's work, right? But we walk with God. We are walking. It is truly our spiritual legs, so to speak, that are moving, right? Um, it's, um, it's kind of like, um, I had a professor describe it this way when he talked about sanctification, which is kind of sort of what we're talking about, a little more broad than that. But um, it's, it's like you, you, know, you go to Home Depot and you see those boxes that are really heavy and it says team lift on it. Um, okay, so that has a person on one end and a person on another end. Sometimes we, we think about the Spirit's work like that. I don't think that's exactly accurate, though. Really, what we're talking about is if, if it was to be a picture on the side of a box, it would be a picture of you lifting this box, but the Spirit is in you fully empowering and even motivating you to lift the box. So it's not like a, the Spirit and me, we're kind of each 50-50. It's really the, the, even our sanctification really is the Spirit is working. He's the one doing the lifting. That doesn't negate the fact that if we look at it from the outside, you're lifting and you have a job to do, right? You're using spiritual muscles that the Spirit has given you and is empowering and is strengthening. Um, so that's kind of what we're, we're looking at, uh, big picture. So the outline for today then, we're going to look at five different things that uh, the Spirit does individually in us as we walk with God or to cause us to walk with God or enable us to walk with God. So the first briefly is going to be regeneration and indwelling. And I say briefly because we've covered this already um, a couple times. But it's still, it's, it's, it's a necessary starting point. I don't see how we can 
If we skip that, I'd feel negligent, right? Okay, so we gotta at least say something about that. He cultivates Christ's likeness in us as we walk in him. He testifies that we belong to God. He intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray for, and he secures our eternal inheritance. So, regenerate and indwell. Um, I'm just going to read some passages real quick out of John and, and 1 Corinthians. You don't need to turn there. The first place we're going to be in, I think, is, first, is uh, Galatians. So if you want to turn to Galatians 5, you can start making your way there. So he brings in this new covenant. Um, John 3, verses 5 through 8, he regenerates us. We are spiritually dead. We need new life. In John 3, Jesus answers Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So when we talk about the Spirit's work in us and our walking with God, we cannot even walk with God because we are not alive to God unless we're born again, right? So the Spirit borns us again. He regenerates us, gives us spiritual life where there is spiritual death. Um, and he keeps on going and talking more about how the Spirit gives us life. He permanently indwells us. We are the temple of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So notice that we are the temple of the Spirit. And here he is talking to individual believers. It's true that um, the church as a whole is spoken of as the temple. That's true, like plural. Uh, even in, uh, I can't remember if it's first or second Corinthians, but it comes out in, with a plural you, y'all. Y'all are the Holy Spirit together, right? Um, here, though, it's pretty clearly talking about individuals, right? Because he's saying your body, like, and he's talking in the, in the issue, if you read that context, he's talking about you sinning with your body or not sinning with your body. So it doesn't mean body like church body. It means like your body. You are the temple. Um, okay, so we have regeneration and indwelling. W without this, um, you know, the rest of this stuff doesn't really, isn't really going to flow. The rest of this comes out of those realities, okay? So I know you know that, but let's not skip over that, right? Let's not just assume we all know that. Let's make sure we remember it. Let's look now at, uh, we're going to spend a little more time on how he cultivates Christ-likeness in you as you walk in his ways. Um, so we're going to be in Galatians 5, but let me, I just want to read one verse. Remember I talked about that team lift thing a minute ago? Um, I, I want to give you scripture to, to show you that this is not just something I'm making up. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. So just listen, it's real short. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, that command, work out, is given to you, to me, as individual believers. You have a job to do. Work it out. Very important, not work for. You don't earn it, Right? You've been given the salvation, work it out. Your job is to work it out. Okay, so that's, that's me. I mean, I'm, I'm the one having to lift this box to grow. But look at verse 13. Here's the reason, the grounding for that command. In other words, the only reason that command works is verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The you are to lift it, you're to work. The only reason you can want to do that and then actually do that is because God's at work in you to give you the desire and the ability, the empowerment to do it. Okay, is that clear? We clear on that? Okay, um, so that so when we start, we can zoom in though and say, okay, what member of the Trinity is, as we keep looking in places like Galatians, doing this work in us? And I think we can say the Spirit does a lot of this work, the majority of it, perhaps even all of it in us, right? 
So look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5, and, and this is kind of really what we're doing in this one section here. We're kind of fleshing out more. So Doug set us up when he talked about the Spirit fills believers. And he talked about how that means that we, we are spiritual and we, we walk in the Spirit. So what I'm doing now is just taking us in to show you more of what that looks like. So, so Doug was, was doing that, and now we're going to look more in depth at this in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 16, but I say, so Paul says in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have this command to walk by the Spirit, which is similar to this work out your salvation command back in Romans, right? Walking is the idea of your daily life, the way you live life, the path you're on, the decisions you're making. Walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Um, and when it says by the Spirit, I think that indicates two things. One, our walking is to be by the Spirit's leading. So where do we hear from the Spirit in the Word? He inspires the Word. He tells us the direction we're to walk in, in the word. Uh, I mean, think about it in Psalm uh, 1. The blessed one, the blessed man or woman is the one who what? They, they won't walk in the counsel of the wicked. They walk according to God's law. The Spirit's word is given so that we will walk in those paths. So if, if he's going to cultivate Christ-likeness in us, if, and we're going to walk by the Spirit, that means we're walking by what the Spirit has said to us is the direction to go. Right? We're in the word. So, yes? John 15. Yeah. He is the vine, we are the branches, yep. and he commands us to, if Father loved me, I love you, yeah. to be fruitful. That's right, yes. Yeah, it ties right into John 15, doesn't it? So, so I think the Spirit is doing this work, but it's all based on the work of Christ, right? I think that's true, and you see that in John 15. He's really connecting us to Christ in all this. Uh, that's what the Spirit is doing. So... Um, Okay, so, so one thing is, uh, it's his word. The second thing when it says by the Spirit is I think it means by his power. This isn't just you kind of um, grit your teeth and, and bear it. This isn't just kind of, you know, muster up enough internal strength on your own apart from the Spirit to walk in the Spirit's word. No, this is, he's empowering it. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Uh, so we're dependent on the Spirit. And, and th that kind of comes out in prayer, doesn't it? That's one way that comes out, right? Lord, I need your help, right, to, to grow. I need you to be doing these things in my life. Look down at verse 25 real quick. This kind of reiterates what verse 16 says. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So it's kind of the same idea, right? Um, if, we're, if you're alive by the Spirit, which means you're a Christian, if that's true, so basically he's saying, if you're a Christian, you live, you're living by the Spirit, you're a Christian, that's true of you, then we need to keep in step with the Spirit. Our, our, our pace and our direction all need to be Spirit-directed right? Um, and so again, that takes us back to his word, and uh, he is the standard. Keep in step is the idea of staying in line with, following him. He's in the lead, and we're following him. I'm staying in line. So we need this command, and we need this empowerment, because why? Because we still have vestiges of the old self. You know, why, why do we need to be commanded to do this? Because we still struggle with sin, and we still have the vestiges of the old self. We, God's designed it so that we progressively look more and more like Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight unless you die, right? Then it will happen overnight because you will see him face to face and you will be made like him. That's what First John tells us. When we see him face to face, we will be like him. Uh, in the meantime, there's this progressive making us look more and more like Christ. This isn't surprising because again, think about born again language. When a, when a baby's born, does it stay a baby? No, it keeps growing unless something is really wrong with it, right? It's going to keep growing. And it's the same thing. Uh, when he talks about being born again, not only does that, that emphasize certain doctrinal truths we've already talked about, but I think it also emphasizes 
your growth is progressive. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna grow. If you don't grow, we got a problem. We should say, okay, are you really born again or not? Um, but it'll be progressive. It's not a hey, you're an adult right away. You're fully spiritually mature right away, right? Okay, so um, so this is this incremental growth going on in our lives. Um, so we need to grow day by day, and you can see that in Galatians five seventeen. For if the desires of the flesh are uh, so sorry, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. One thing that's really encouraging there, though, is note: okay, so you're a Christian, you're struggling with sin. What sets you apart from sinners struggling, well, sinning, and maybe feeling bad about sinning, is you want to do what the spirit wants you to do. You see that? He, it, your flesh keeps you from doing what you want to do, which is walk in the Spirit, right? So you have that desire to walk in the Spirit. Uh, but if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of ra- anger, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see the works of the flesh, those who do such things, who practice these things, and, and they're, they're not confessing them. They're siding with these sins rather than siding with Jesus against their sins. Those are ones who are, it's not just that they're struggling with the flesh, they are not in the spirit if there's no fighting against it. There's no confessing. Because confessing means you're agreeing with God about your sin, doesn't it? That's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. The Christian says, I, I did this, I'm standing with Jesus and, and agreeing with him and saying that was wrong. Forgive me and help me. The non-Christian or the Christian that is, they, they need some, some discipline and thankfully the Lord does discipline his own. They may start to side with their sin. They start defending it, right? Blame shifting it, ignoring it. They're not confessing it right away. Uh, agree, when I say confessing, I mean agreeing with God. Right? I mean, unbelievers can confess certain things. I mean, they can say, yeah, I agree with you. I did something wrong. I'm saying we agree with God about it. That's the Christian version of, of confession. So, um, so yeah, I think we're seeing this, um, uh, this need to walk in the Spirit and grow in the Spirit. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So that is where we're at. Uh, we have this job to walk in the Spirit, and um, we have actually been given new desires to want to walk in the spirit and strength to walk in the spirit. So, um, I think it's interesting. You can learn a lot about pressure by the dictator, and Jesus calls the Holy Spirit to comfort him. Mm-hmm. So all the things that you're talking about about walking in the flesh, right? Is like how I can long term those are painful. There's no comfort there. Sure. Yeah. Whereas walking in the spirit, that ultimately is comforting. But if you look at Ephesians 1, it's talking about our position in Christ that's and right. how that's helped by the Spirit. And that's very comforting to God. So I think it's uh, just interesting to me kind of that Jesus nicknamed the Holy Spirit to comfort That's right. Yep. No, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be in Ephesians 1 here in a few minutes, um, hopefully. That's good. Um, so now, now we get to the fruit of the Spirit. So, so the Spirit, when we, when we talk about He cultivates Christ-likeness in us as we walk in His ways, I hope you're starting to see that. We have a responsibility to walk in His ways, just like we saw in Philippians. We see it here in Galatians. Um, he is the one causing it as we walk in the Spirit, as we keep in step with Him. And so far, what we've seen is the negative side. He helps us put off sin, 
right? Put off the deeds of the flesh. But there's more. It's not just a negative stop it. It's a he causes fruit to grow. He causes us to look more like Christ, yes, as we walk in him. So these two things are not contradictory, right? I mean, it's he, he causes the fruit to grow, and we look at those virtues that we see laid out here that are Christ-likeness, and we work to grow in those things by his power. Both those things are happening. So look at the fruit of the Spirit, though. This is um, encouraging and a good challenge because it gives us, um, it kind of gives us more specifics. What does it look like to look like Christ? So Galatians 5, 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The word fruit there is singular. I think what that intends to communicate is uh, these all go together, right? It doesn't mean you, all, you have them all in equal abundance in your own life. You probably will, as you look at this list, see certain areas where you just don't see as much of that fruit, but you see more of other fruit, okay? But the point is the Spirit's working to produce all these types of fruits in us. There is the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's not, so I guess what I'm saying is it's not like you just like, hey, look, I mean, the Spirit's producing joy in me, so I guess it's okay. I don't really have to be kind to anybody, right? Because the Spirit's, he's just working on joy. Okay, well, yes, joy, right? But the other fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. So he's, he's going to produce some level of this in every Christian. Now, we all may have you know, certain areas where we're stronger or weaker, but it's being produced. So you can see, I just give you brief definitions of these. And so what I would encourage you to do is take this list, um, look through it, uh, thank God where you see growth. Man, you know, God, I'm, I'm not like I used to look in this area. I see more of this in my life. And you thank God because why? This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is God's work in you. So you, you, yes, you're right to thank God for that. Uh, and, and then you look at this and you might see some where you're like, man, I am just really struggling with kindness or patience or having peace. And Lord, help me. Spirit, you know, help me grow in these things. Um, I want to look more like Christ. So love, self-giving, uh, preferring others' interest above self, seeking what's truly good for them. Joy, rather than discontentment, bitterness, pessimism. Uh, no matter what the circumstances, I'm deeply happy because I know God orders all that comes my way. Peace, I'm at peace with God. And so I can have peace in every other area of life, in my relationships with others, in circumstances. Um, relationships with others obviously depends on them some too, right? They may not want to have peace with you, but you can be peaceful in the way you relate to them. That's true. Um, patience. I can face provocation without responding sinfully. Kindness. Seeking to bless and help those around me. There's an active moving towards blessing other people. Uh, bearing others' burdens as I am able to, speaking words that build up. Those are all aspects of kindness. Goodness, doing what is good from a heart that loves what God says is good. Faithfulness, there's an idea of trustworthiness, reliability, um, doing what's right all the time or pursuing that. Uh, gentleness, since God is in control, I can respond with a calm trust in God when others fail me or are difficult. And then uh, self-control, Control of my thoughts, desires, impulses, rather than runaway thoughts and appetites. So, look over those on your own and, and give some thought to that. Yeah. Um, what role does the Holy Spirit have with non-believers? And specifically, when, when you see mm -hmm. these attributes and you can think of non-believers sure. you have. Yep. It, is that... Like a it, preserving effect, perhaps, that the Spirit's not letting us be as bad as we could be? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like, yeah. Yeah. So I would say the, the thing that's different though is, um, so this is not a direct answer to that question, but I do think it's important to note that um, the Bible does tell us whatever is, is not done in faith is sin. Even the good works of an unbeliever 
And when I say unbeliever, I don't just mean a person who their thoughts are different than yours. Think about, I mean, when we say unbeliever, what we mean is someone who's in rebellion against God. And they can look as nice as can be, but they're still, set, they're, they're still living their life as if they get the right to be king and captain of their own soul rather than the God who made them and made the entire universe and sent his son to redeem, right? So um, we're talking, this is a big deal, right? Um, so so the people who are in that rebellion against God, they're not acting in faith when they do these kind things. They may be motivated by multiple things, but it's not faith and love towards God, the one true God. And so it's not done in a way that's going to, uh, in the way a believer is, they're not looking like Christ when they do these things. This is not Christ-likeness in them because the motive of faith towards God is really the underlying thing for all this fruit of the Spirit, right? Um, but you are right to, and we should acknowledge, we're not saying unbelievers can't in any sh- shape or form show a self-giving love. That's true. We can see that in them. And, and perhaps that is um, a preserving effect that the Spirit just doesn't let us all be as evil and wicked as we can be. I think that's true. Um, and certainly even in our own lives as Christians, and this is true of unbelievers, we probably are bent more towards particular sins than others. You know, my bents might be different than yours or someone else's. And so I may have certain things where I'm just not as evil as I could be, right? Um, so yeah, it's a good question. Probably warrants more careful thought and discussion. Motivation but. will never be to glorify God. What's that? Their motivation will never be to bring glory to God. Sure, it right. It certainly be a human good yep. that sort of satisfies something we need rather than right. somehow bringing glory to God and putting him on display and... Right. That kind of thing. Yeah, the end goal is very, very John different. John 15 passage is really good because that's what the purpose of it all is to bring glory to yeah. God who's in heaven. That's right. So good, yeah, good question. Um, okay, so you can you can take those, think about them. I encourage you to do that as a form of application. Um, so, spirit working in us. Now let's look at him testifying that we are God's ch- child or children, that you are God's child. Um, we're just, we're going to be in Romans for this, so you can turn to Romans 8. <clears throat> so in Romans 8, Paul is, is dealing with, uh, still with this call, in, in fact, at the beginning of, of walking in the Spirit. I think that same idea is there. Uh, look at Romans 8, tw- uh, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. <clears throat> so he's talking to Christians here. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Look, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit in you. That's what he's saying there. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we're talking about indwelling. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So it's kind of a similar thing we just saw in Galatians. Um, we have the spirit dwelling in us. We're putting to death the deeds of the body, the flesh, in other words. Um, but here's where I want to get to. Look at verses 14 and 15. When we're regenerated, we are also made sons of God. We are adopted into God's family. Um, and, and when I say sons of God, I think... Um, I do mean sons and daughters. That's true, okay? I do think it's, it's helpful, though, to, to emphasize. I think the, the word sons is important because what he's, what he's referring to, we're going to see this in one of the future things we talk about, is the person who got the inheritance in this time period was the son. The daughter would be taken care of when she was married because typically they're all going to get married. I mean, it wasn't like 
you really had as much ability to even be single if you wanted to. Um, that inheritance would come through her husband's line. So I, I say that just to point out, um, I'm not using that word to, to suggest that there is still men and women in Christ and we still are sons and daughters of Christ. That's true. That's gloriously true. But I also don't want us to miss that when we say we're sons of God, what I mean is all of us, men and women, because we're in Christ, we have the full inheritance of the son in a family, right? We get, we get the full inheritance. Um, so I think it's, just, it's helpful to just note that. But verses 14 and 15, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we're not slaves anymore like we used to be, slaves to our own sin and lust, but also slaves to the fear that God's judgment hangs over you apart from Christ. We're not slaves anymore. We actually go to God as Father because when we are given new life, we are also adopted. We are given the spirit of adoption. So God is no longer judge for us. He is Father. That is the new reality in which we live. He no longer views you as, he doesn't view you as a criminal. He views you as a son, as a child, um, which is encouraging, right? Because, you know, when you sin and I sin, there can be for some of us, not, maybe not everyone's bent this way. Some people may be bent towards justifying their sin all the time. If you're more introspective, you might be bent more towards feeling like you're a criminal on probation now, right? I mean, it's, you know, two strikes, one more strike and I'm out. And you start, you know, thinking that God's ready to be done with you because you, you sinned again in a particular way or whatever. Um, well, I mean, he, you're his, you're, you have the spirit of adoption if you're a genuine Christian, right? Um, if, you, if you walk in the spirit, which is part of the proof that you are a Christian, which means I'm, I'm sorry about my sin, I'm not, I'm not championing my sin, right? I'm championing Jesus over my sin, but I still sin, uh, then that shows I'm adopted and I belong to God. And so I'm not a criminal on probation. Uh, I am his son, his daughter. And so I think we can, we can be encouraged when we think about what it means to be adopted. We can cry out to God as our father. We can depend on him to provide for our needs. It talks about in the gospels, uh, you know, just as a, a loving physical father, even if they're not a Christian, they don't typically give their children serpents for dinner that are still slithering on the plate, right? Um, so God be, is generous to us as his children, right? How much more will God be generous to his children? Because he's good. He's a good, always perfectly good father. Um, the Spirit testifies to this reality that we are children of God. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He affirms that we are in the family of God. So that's encouraging. We have a spirit of adoption. That's one of the things the Spirit does. He, 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 he has, gives us the spirit of you are in God's family. And he affirms, testifies with our own internal spirit that says, yes, I belong to God. He gives testimony that we, in fact, are children of God. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, think about sometimes how weak your own faith even feels. You, you feel like you're going to stand before God and you're like, man, I don't, I mean, I don't even know that I can say I'm a, I'm a child of God. Look at, look at how badly I messed up, right? I'm not saying we should, we should look at our lives, you know, sin is, is not good and we need to confess it. But, um, but here we have that the spirit also testifies. So it's like, you know, you're not going, it's like you're going into a courtroom and it's just, well, I think I'm a, I'm a child of God. It's the spirit testifies. You belong, you've been given the spirit of adoption. You're in the family. God doesn't kick out his children. Okay, uh, look down now. So let's talk about him interceding for us. Spirit intercedes for you when you don't know what to pray. This is an important aspect of our Christian walk, isn't it? We pray. That's, that's uh, part. The Puritans talked about how uh, praying is like breathing for the Christian. It's just a constant, I'm daily, uh, throughout the day, 
God, thank you. God, I need you. God, help me. God, make this fruit grow in my life so I look more like Christ. I mean, it's just constant throughout the day. So this is part of the Christian life, but we also recognize our own weaknesses in this. Um, we, we live in a world full of, of our own sin as well as the suffering, and those things are heavy at times. Um, we live in a world where we get confused by sin and suffering. We, we feel like we don't always know which way is up and which way is down so that we even know how to pray. I mean, just go read Ecclesiastes. It talks about the, the confusion of van- the vanity that we experience in this world. Um, and so there are times where, so, so I think what he says, look at Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So there, that's how this is connected. We're still talking about the sons of God. Creation is groaning because it's under the curse, right? But skip down to verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So here now he uses adoption in a slightly different way. What he means is the full consummation of our adoption. We experience the fullness of being in God's household. You are in God's household now. You are truly adopted. But we experience the fullness of that when we're in his perfect presence forever. And so we have this inward groaning. And so what do we do? Man, we pray because we are groaning, right? We are struggling with our own sin, the sins of others, the the brokenness of the world. Um, But think about this. One other thing that we struggle with is even in the middle of all this, um, we struggle to know how to pray don't we? Um, one thing that is encouraging too, let me back up for a second, where, where he talks about um, somewhere in here, oh, at the beginning where he said our sufferings are not worth the comparing the glories to be revealed to us. It's interesting that, that in the Bible, we're not told um, suffering is no big deal, right? We're not told, hey, just get over it. The sufferings are there. They're real. The Bible totally affirms that, but it still gives you like actual real hope, because the hope isn't also, things will get better this side of heaven. Now, they might. I mean, you have ups and downs. And I'm not saying you, you, may, things, you may be on your deathbed and have a great recovery or something. Sure, that we bless the Lord's name for that, right? True. Um, but that's not really, if, if that was my hope, at some point, I'm not getting off that deathbed. So that's going to be a pretty, if that's all it is, is, well, things will get better this side of heaven. No, at some point they're not, right? Uh, what's the hope? The hope is we have a glory that is to be revealed and it is not even worth comparing the sufferings we have now. So are the sufferings real? Are they heavy? Yes. But when you compare it to the glory that awaits us, there is nothing. It puts it in perspective, doesn't it? So anyway, I think that's encouraging. That's kind of a little bit of a side note, but um, okay, so back to the fact that we need to pray. So we have this suffering. We have this difficulty. We need to pray. That's part of the Christian life. That's part of Christian walking. Um, And if you're like me uh, you experience times where you feel weak in prayer through your own just lethargy or distraction or even just through suffering. Sometimes you don't even know how to pray. You're going through a time of suffering and you don't even know what to pray because you know there are times where God is glorified by leaving that suffering. But you also know that in your body, you desperately don't want to keep experiencing that suffering. And so you pray for healing, which is right and good. I think you, that's, I'm not saying you yeah, pray for that. But in the back of your mind, sometimes you know, well, man, I don't know. God, are you doing something bigger in this? I don't know. And so what we're about to see, the Spirit intercedes for us is extremely encouraging because not only is the weaknesses that we experience just because of our sin and the brokenness of the world, it's because we don't even necessarily always know really how to pray, right? Um, So Romans 8, 26, likewise, so still dealing with the idea of our, our weakness and the fallenness of the world, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, so um, thinking about our own weakness, I give you an A.W. Pink quote there. Um, I'll go ahead and read it real quick. Even when the Christian endeavors to pray, he is handicapped by wanderings of mind, coldness of heart, the intrusions of carnal cares, while he is painfully conscious of the unreality of his petitions and unfelt confession. In other words, he means you make these petitions and stuff and you're not really feeling it. Your heart isn't even in it when you're making these petitions to God sometimes. How cold are the effusions of our hearts in secret devotions? How feeble are supplications? How little solemnity of mind, brokenness of heart. We're not even broken over our sin when we confess sin the way we should, is what he's saying. How often the prayer exercises of our souls, when we exercise ourselves in prayer, seems a mass of confusion and contradiction. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. So I think it's a helpful way to kind of give us some commentary on what we're talking about here. The Spirit does this work because we know the weaknesses of our own heart. Now one thing to me is extremely encouraging as I thought about this passage is, um, why does God tell us this, that the Spirit intercedes for us? I mean, I... I mean, because he wants to and he's God. I mean, that's a fine answer, right? I mean, God's going to tell us what he wants and he's God. But I mean, when you think about that, he didn't have to tell us that for the spirit to intercede effectively for us. I mean, that's kind of a like inter-Trinitarian transaction that like would still happen whether I knew it or not, right? The spirit's still going to intercede for us in accord with God's will, which think about how encouraging that is. Right? If you ask anything in my name, Jesus says, it will be given to you. What does that mean? It means anything that fits exact with my will, with my, with my character, God answers that prayer. If it's in line with God's will like that, he's going to answer it. Does the Spirit ever pray outside of the will of God? His prayer is 100% effective for you. Because he, always, he knows the mind of God because he is God. Right? So how encouraging is that? When he prays, it is 100% effective. Um, but anyway, so he didn't have to, to tell us this. Why does he tell us that the Spirit does this? I think in this context, it's pretty clear. It brings us comfort to know that the Spirit is interceding for us because we do feel the weaknesses. Likewise, in our weaknesses, the Spirit helps us. We feel the weakness, not only of all the brokenness around us and in us, but even our own praying and relating to God. God, you're my Father, and I should be able to pray, pray but I feel dull. I feel dead. I feel like I don't even know what to ask. I feel confused. So he tells us, I think, to encourage us in those moments that the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. And he's interceding in ways that are 100% effective. So we have a heart that says, God, here's what I desire, but not my will, but yours. And the Spirit takes that prayer and he transforms it on the way up so that it is perfectly in accord with God's will. Right? So the Spirit is working on our behalf in prayer. He fixes our prayers on the way up. Uh, Okay, let's look next at the... uh, Is this the last one? Not yet. Uh, Yeah, he secures... Uh, guarantees your eternal inheritance. We're adopted. We, we see that. You see that in Romans 8, 16, and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children, then we are heirs. So that's what I want to zoom in on now. We talked about how we're children. He gives us the spirit of adoption. That's one of the things the Spirit does for us in our walk with God. And then I mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to elaborate on it now. What that means is, yes, we go to God. He's our Father. We're not a criminal on probation, it also means we have a glorious inheritance and the Spirit guarantees that inheritance. We are children, God gives us an inheritance and it's ours. 
right? So uh, look at Ephesians 1. Turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, we still have this idea of being adopted, so there's a connection here to what we've been seeing in Romans. Ephesians 1, verse 5. We see the Spirit guarantees our inheritance as sons of God. Uh, Look at verse 5. In love, so that's the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So adoption. God adopts us, right? That was his plan to adopt us. Now look at verses 11 and following. In him, he's talking about Christ here, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I hope it's clear all of our salvation is to the praise of his glory. That gets repeated over and over again here. But what we're zooming in on is verse 14. He is the guarantee. He is the, the, the word there is um, pledge or down payment. He's, that's the guarantee that the spirit is for us. Okay? He, it's, it's like um, we're not experiencing the fullness of our inheritance right now. Okay? It is true that you really have the inheritance. You really are a son or daughter of God. You really have God with you, dwelling in you. But the full experience of this waits until we're in the, his presence, doesn't it? Think about the description of the new heavens and new earth at the end of Revelation. What is central about that is it is God's people in God's place under God's smiling face forever, right? I mean, God, what makes the new heavens and new earth wonderful is that God is there. We don't even need a physical sun anymore because the brightness of God's countenance lights the way in this city in this new heavens and new earth so so we don't have the fullness of that yet it is truly yours and you truly have a real experience of god's presence through the spirit being in you one that the old testament believer i mean would be shocked to to think about right i mean they didn't even have that most of them so uh so this is pretty amazing so the spirit guarantees he is the down payment that yes the, the spirit of god is in you that's the down payment that you will be perfectly in his presence forever. It's just a down payment of it. A real legitimate down payment, but a down payment nonetheless. A guarantee. So that's encouraging to be have that guarantee. Um, and verse 13 tells us that we are sealed. That's kind of another way of saying he's a guarantee, uh, but it, it is a little bit different, and it can mean two, one of two things. He, we're sealed can mean that the Holy Spirit pr- protects and preserves us, um, so the idea kind of could be like a seal on an envelope, right? I think that's kind of the picture. Uh, a king puts a seal on there with wax, and, and no one's going to open that because they don't want to die. The king will take them out, right? So, so we are protected and preserved by God's sealing us through the Spirit. Uh, they bear the, and then the second thing is, it also shows authenticity. This message really comes from the king. This is really God saying, for, you're going to be mine forever. The inheritance really is yours. It's authentic. This document that guarantees this, this will, so to speak, is authentic. It wasn't a forgery. You didn't write it up yourself. You know, it's not some preacher just told you that it's yours. The Spirit of God says it's yours, and he seals you in it. So this is pretty amazing. And this is until we acquire possession. Until we get the fullness of this, he seals us. This seal will not be broken. This guarantee, this down payment will not come up short. 
it will remain forever until we acquire possession of it. Nothing is going to take us out of the hand of God because the Spirit seals us, right? The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. We're not going to get there and then realize we have no inheritance. Uh, and this, this connects back to Romans 8. We won't go there right now, but Romans 8, where it, that whole section we just were looking at Romans 8, how does it end? It then goes on and says, look, because God has done all this for us, and, and we will be glorified, right? I mean, it says, it says, those whom he predestined, it goes through that whole list and it says, those whom he glorified, as if it's already done. Well, I think here in Ephesians, we're seeing part of the reason we can say that is the spirit has sealed it and guaranteed it. It's, it's as good as done, right? But then what does it do? It keeps going on and he says, nothing is gonna separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and gives you a whole list of things that you might think could separate you from God's love. And he says, none of those are gonna separate you. So we see, I think we see a similar thing here in Ephesians. So these are some of the things the Holy Spirit does in us as we live the Christian life. Everything from our birth all the way to our glorification. I mean, you, you, know, you almost want to compare it to death, but it's, it's death, but it's more than that. It's glorification. That's what the Spirit does. He covers all that terrain and everything in between. The walking with God, the growing in Christ's likeness, maturing as a Christian. The Spirit is at work in all these realities as a Christian. He regenerates and indwells us. He cultivates, cultivates Christ-like character. He testifies we are God's children. He intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. He secures our internal inheritance. So which one of these have you not given much thought to recently, right? And what I would say is give more thought to that over this next week. Wh which one of these most thrills your soul as you've been reminded of it? Spend time thanking God for that, dwelling on it, meditating on it, thinking of all the, the implications of whatever that particular work of the Spirit is that we just talked about in your own life. Um, these are all wondrous truths for those who are Christians, right? If you're here and you're not a Christian, these are glorious truths, but they're actually not glorious for you. God's not your father. There's a day of judgment coming. But the good news is that the, what the Spirit is doing in all this is he's applying the work of Jesus. He's not taking you trying to fix up your life and giving you a little boost Right? Because you look at that and you say, I can't fix my life. I can't give myself a desire for God the way I know God would be to be a child of God. So what do you do? You cry out to God. Right? You say, God, you sent your son to die for sinners like me. Forgive me. Give me new life. I can't do it on my own. And God answers that prayer, doesn't he? God is gracious. Um, and so, so that's the call to you, that these can be your experience as well. But as Christians, um, I encourage you to, to spend time meditating on it. If you're, if you're not a Christian, I should encourage you to give real thought to the state of your soul. Think about these blessings that God gives. And if that's stirring your heart, then don't delay, right? Cry out to God. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your work through your spirit in us, um, his powerful working that you have designed for our good and your glory. And uh, we pray that we would glorify you as we think about the work of your spirit, um, as we think about um, all that he is and all that he does. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.